Hi, I'm Eric Chaffin, Senior Pastor of Beach Street First Baptist Church in Texarkana. Welcome to The Upward Call, our weekly Beach Street message cast. If this is your first time to connect with us, we invite you to discover more at www.beachstreetfbc.org. Beachstreetfbc.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you as God speaks to you through His Word. Hey, we're in Romans chapter 10 this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. We're in, uh, I think it's, if I have, have not lost track, part four of this new series, Stuff Every Christian Should Know. Today we're going to talk about finding the foundation of faith. Now really as I look back on this, this is probably a message I should have done at the very beginning of the series, but I almost said I'm making it up as I go along, but that's not quite the case. But um, suffice to say, uh, we're doing it this week. So Hebrews chapter 10, we're taking a new look at an old topic, and that's the topic of faith. Now imagine with me for a minute, two letters have been dropped off at the post office to be delivered. One is on very crisp, expensive stationery. It's beautifully typed. It's eloquently written, uh, but it doesn't have a stamp. The other one, however, it's written on cheap paper with smudged pencil markings, poor grammar, bad spelling. But this one has a stamp. Now, which one of these do you think actually got delivered? Well, the one with the stamp. And your life in Christ, as a faithful follower of Him, is the same way. Faith is the stamp that sets God's work into motion in your life. In fact, Jesus Himself said in Matthew 9, 29, according to your faith, it will be done to you. Not your fame, not your feelings, not your fortune, not your friends, not fate, but according to your faith, it will be done. So just like the dollar is the medium for exchange at the grocery store, faith is heaven's medium for exchange. So if you got the place in Romans chapter 10, read along with me beginning in verse 13, where the Apostle Paul says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on Him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about Him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So, and this is the key verse here, verse 17. So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes to the message about Christ. So faith is the medium of exchange in heaven. Now, if faith is heaven's medium of exchange, then what would you say is the biggest culprit to us seeing God move in our lives and on our behalf? Well, that would probably be on the polar opposite of the spectrum. That would be unbelief. In fact, according to Jesus' own words in Matthew, our sovereign Father in heaven has willfully chosen to limit His work according to the faith, the belief of His people. Okay, so there's some culprits to, uh, to having God work in your life, unbelief. What is that one sin that God will not forgive? The one that, that sends people to hell. 
Well, very simply, that's the sin of unbelief. That's continually saying, no, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't believe in you. I reject you. The sin of unbelief. Jesus spoke to that in John chapter 3, verse 18, when he said, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now, on the flip side of that, you've got Mark chapter 9, verse 23, where Jesus says, everything is possible for him who believes. And Paul in Romans chapter 1, actually quoting Habakkuk 2.4, says, the righteous will live by faith. All right then, so what aspects of the Christian life actually come by faith? I mean, this whole series is all about the Christian life, stuff that Christians need to know. So what aspects of that life come to us by faith? Well, the first and most obvious is salvation. Salvation comes by faith. Romans 5.1, you know, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Ephesians 2.8, for you are saved by grace through faith. We also have the fullness of the Spirit. Uh, Spirit. Galatians 3.14, by faith we receive the promise of the Spirit. We have victory. Victory over the world. 1 John 5.4, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. We have victory over the enemy. In that passage in Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul is telling us to put on the armor of God. Verse 16 he says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. There's also sanctification that comes by faith. That process whereby the Holy Spirit works in our lives daily to make us more like Jesus Christ. We are sanctified by faith, the Bible says in Acts uh, 26, 18. Those are all the wonderful things that occur in a Christian's life because of faith. But what are some of the negative things that occur because of a lack of faith? Well, there's worry. And God, I just can't handle this. <laughs> well, you know what? Oftentimes you can't. Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, and, and, the, and the idea that God will not allow us uh, to endure more than we can bear, that's not in the Bible. You've heard people say, oh, God won't, won't uh, allow more than you can handle. Well, yeah, he does that all the time. He does it all the time because he knows that it drives us straight into his arms. When we're in that situation where we can't handle it, that's when we turn to God in faith and trust that he's going to take care of it. That deepens our faith. We have a more intimate relationship with God because of that. But there's worry. God, I can't handle this. There's loneliness because God seems distant. Well, guess what? If that's happened, he's not the one who's moved. There's guilt because we, we don't trust God for our cleansing when we sin. You know, once we confess that sin, once we turn from it, we shouldn't have to feel guilty of it ever again because he's forgiven us, he's cleansed us. And if you're still feeling guilty, that's probably the enemy telling you that you're worthless. So we feel guilty. There's disobedience. If I truly believed, I wouldn't continue to disobey God. 
So there's some good things that come about in the Christian's life because of faith. There are some negative things that occur because of lack of faith. But I want to drill down a little bit uh, further and, dis- and really explore four distinct aspects of faith, true biblical faith this morning. And the first one is this, the reality of faith. The reality of faith. Verse 17, faith comes through the message about Christ, Paul says. Well, in order for faith to be true biblical faith, it's got to be faith in Christ. It's got to be faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, There's a boy that came to his dad one time. He said, Dad, um, I think I flunked my math test. And dad said, oh, no, no, son, that's, that's negative thinking. You've got to think more positively. Dad, I'm positive I flunked it. (laughs) But you see, faith is not simply positive thinking, you know. I mean, if, if, if faith were just positive thinking, I mean, we'd all be Scientologists reading our worn-out copies of Dianetics by L. Ron Hubbard, you know. Or we'd be, uh, we'd be buying all the, the, the Tony Robbins um, uh, self-improvement tapes and that kind of stuff. Or we'd be pastoring megachurches in Houston, peddling our books and unlocking, uh, and unlocking our inner potential. Yeah, I should I probably chase that rabbit. But <laughs> the point is, faith is not positive thinking. It is not wish fulfillment. You know, saying, saying, oh, just have faith, just believe, and everything will work out. Yeah, that's not going to cut it. Folks, that dog will not hunt. You know, there must be an object to that faith. And the object of that faith must be the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, we can't just put our faith in faith. That's not going to work. Otherwise, Satan, you know, the, the accuser, he's going to make some statements about us. And what we may not uh, realize at first, they're true statements. But he may say something like, you're not good enough to be saved. Actually, when I practiced that in the mirror this morning, I tried to do it with the voice of Gollum from Lord of the Rings, but I couldn't pull that off. No, seriously. He'll tell you, you're not good enough to be saved. And you know what your reply should be? Well, duh, devil. I haven't put my faith in myself. Or he's going to say, there are hypocrites in the church. Well, yeah, there certainly are. But I haven't put my faith in people. He'll say, well, you don't feel like you should. Well, I am not trusting my feelings. I'm trusting the Lord. Now, in Mark chapter 9, you'll recall a story where there was this demon-possessed boy that was brought to uh, the disciples for healing. And uh, they couldn't pull it off. That's another part of the story. Jesus arrives on the scene, and, and the boy's father is imploring Jesus to cast this demon out of his son. And Jesus tells him, all things are possible to those who believe. To which the father replies, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. <laughs> and you read that, and you're like, what? I think what he was saying was, Lord, I believe, help me to increase my faith. And that actually raises a really important point, uh, a life point that I think you need to get. And that life point is this, that the least amount of faith in the right object is far, far greater than the strongest faith in the wrong object. Which is why the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12 too, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter 
of our faith. There was a man that was once seen gingerly crossing the ice-covered northern Mississippi River. He was inching along on his hands and knees slowly, fearful that the ice was going to crack and he was going to plunge to an icy death. But all of a sudden, he hears a sound. He looks up. There's this roaring sound, and he sees this, this team of horses, a guy driving a team of horses on a, on a carriage. Yeah! And they're just speeding right across that frozen river. Now, the difference between the man crawling across and the man who was driving across was knowledge. The man driving the horses knew the river. Well, you see, your life with God is the same way. You have a personal knowledge of God through your faith in Him. So you can walk in confidence because of who you are. Book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. So we've seen the, the reality of faith, that in order for it to be true biblical faith, it must be faith in Christ. But I want you to notice a second thing about faith this morning, the root of faith, the root of faith. Verse 17 says, so faith comes from what is heard. What does that mean exactly? Faith comes from, from hearing. Well, in order to have faith, you've got to have a word from God. You've got to hear from God. You can't just know God's will by, you know, kind of guessing at it. Faith comes, Paul says. You don't generate it. God gives it. And that's how he enables you to believe. God gives you a word. Now, that totally flies in the face of that whole you know, name it, claim it, uh, prosperity, blab it, grab it, gospel, that, that whole philosophy that says, oh, all you need is to, to claim a word and receive. No, God gives you a word. It's believe and receive. Well, more to the point, it's really receive, believe, and receive. We receive a word from God. We believe it by faith. And then we receive a blessing from God as he moves and works in our lives. The uh, writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, defines faith as the substance of things hoped for. Now, the world's definition of hope and a Christian's definition of hope, uh, they're, they're radically different. Now, if you look up hope in the, in the dictionary, it would say something like a strong desire to see something come to pass. But you see, biblical hope is that, that bedrock foundational assurance of the promise of God. Our blessed hope is, is assurance mingled with anticipation. So for a Christian, a hope is not about desiring something and, and wishing that it would come to pass. For a Christian, hope is the expectation that what we believe will come to pass. That's hope. The writer of Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, substance is an interesting word. If you dive into the original uh, biblical language, that word's, that, it means a, a placing under, a thing put under, a substructure, a foundation. So that word that's translated as substance informs us there's something underneath your faith, something that you can stand on, 
a foundation, a, a substructure. And that, sub that substance, that foundation, it comes from hearing a word from God. That's the root of faith. Okay, that raises a question then. How does God speak that word? Okay, if you'll indulge me for a second, I'm going to give you a very simple Greek vocabulary lesson. Don't worry, there will not be a test later. Two simple words that are often seen in the Greek New Testament for word. One of them is logos. In the English, we'd spell it L-O-G-O-S. Logos. It's the revelation of God through the written word. Now, I should note that in John chapter 1, verse 1, John uses the word logos to describe Jesus in a, in a totally different way as a, as a divine mind. Um, we'll get into that some other time. But uh, you remember what it says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, the word was God. That's the living word. But more often than not, logos just means the written word. So we've got logos, you've got another word, rhema. Rhema means a spoken word and an utterance. And this is the one we find in verse 17 of uh, Romans 10. Uh, so the English will, it will translate it as you know, message or word or something like that, but it's, it's, it's rhema. So as we read the Bible, the written word, logos, God speaks to us, a, a rhema. We get a rhema from the logos, a word from the word. God speaks that word to us to get us to hear in here, in our hearts. Now, don't think for one minute that what I do here on Sunday mornings, what I give you, is a rhema. When I teach from the Logos, I try to do so with authority and conviction and passion. But you see, I'm just the mailman who delivers God's message to you. It's the Holy Spirit that's actually speaking the rhema through the preaching of the Logos. You know, or he's speaking a rhema to you through the written word, the logos in your daily Bible study. So faith comes by hearing a word from God, and that faith has substance, a firm foundation that we can stand on. And that's really the next life point in this, this message, the, that your faith is supported when God speaks a word to you. Your faith is strengthened when God speaks a word to you. Now, that raises another question. Through what vehicle does God speak to us? Through what vehicle does that word come to us from God? Well, God may give you that rhema, that spoken word through your pastor's preaching, or he may give it to you through the wise counsel of another believer. He may give it to you through your personal study of the Bible. In your prayer time, he, he may actually speak it to you directly through the, the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit. But it is God who is speaking to you. Now, a lot of people will say, well, God doesn't speak to me that way. Mm-mm. My response is, are you even listening? I think sometimes we need to do a much better job of just kind of shutting out the world, going off into a quiet place, just being alone with God. You know, having one of those Psalm 4610 moments, you know, be still and know that he is God. So many things vying for our attention that sometimes it's hard to hear when God's speaking to us. So the root of faith is hearing a word from God. Faith for salvation, faith for fullness of the spirit, faith for victory over the world and over the enemy, 
Faith for service and sanctification is hearing a word from God. The reality of faith, faith that it must be in Christ alone. Uh, root of faith, a word from God. Here's the third thing I want you to get, okay? Third aspect of faith is the result of faith. I like here that Paul actually quotes Isaiah 52, 7, when he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And we'll come back to that thought in a minute. But you know, understanding what faith is also includes understanding what faith is not. Faith is not getting man's will done in heaven, okay? It's not talking God into something. It's not manipulating God into doing something. That's the whole blabbit-grabbit thing, you know. I claim that. I speak a word. I claim it. No, no. See, that's all about getting our will done in heaven. But faith is all about getting, getting God's will done on earth. Getting God's will done on earth. So the root of true biblical faith is hearing a word from God, but the result of faith is him speaking his will to you. And if the result of faith is him speaking his will to you, well, think about it. Then you cannot have faith for anything that's not in the will of God. Why? Because faith is a gift from God. Faith comes. It comes from hearing and hearing from the word. And God is not going to give you a word on something that's not within his will. And likewise, his word will never contradict his will. So don't think that you can have whatever you want. Yes, I know, I desire this, I desire this. You, you can't believe for anything you want and expect God to give it to you. God is not some celestial genie who doles out wish fulfillment. Now, there's going to be some knucklehead TV preacher that will say something like, I have a strong desire for a pink Cadillac convertible. And if I just have enough faith, I, I claim it. And bam, God gives it to me. He lays it on me. Boy, I did that a little too easily. That's not the way it works. Unless, of course, you're a Mary Kay representative, in which case God might actually give you a pink Cadillac convertible. Y'all remember the myth, uh, the, the Midas myth? You, you, you've heard uh, things like, oh, he had the golden touch, or he had the Midas touch. Well, according to the story, Dionysus offers Midas his choice of whatever reward he wished for. <laughs> Midas asked that whatever he might touch should turn to gold. Yeah, uh, okay. Can you imagine if Midas showed up on Dr. Phil? Yeah, <laughs> okay, how's that working out for you? Not so well. Yeah, you got to love Dr. Phil, all of his funny euphemisms and little sayings. There's a four-alarm fire in your wife's heart, and you can't even slide down the pole. But I digress. Just think, though, if, if Midas were a guest on, on Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil asked him, How, how's that working out for you? Well, not so good. If you remember the story, all of his food, when he touched it, turned to gold. He touched his beautiful daughter. She turned to gold. Eventually, he starves to death. Blessing was, in fact, cursing because he got what he wanted. And that's the life point I want you to get here, that getting what we want, that's often a recipe for disaster. What we need to do is learn to make his will 
our will, to make his desires our desires. One of the most beautiful Psalms in the Bible, I think, is Psalm 37. It is chock full of all sorts of wonderful stuff. But Psalm 37, 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, God, what if I want a pink Cadillac convertible? No, that's not what that, that verse is talking about. When you get into the uh, original Hebrew there, the, the word that's translated as give, it's a Hebrew word, nathan. Now, actually, you know, we get the, uh, the English name Nathan from that. Nathan means a gift from God. But nathan, and like a lot of the, you know, biblical words, there's, there's kind of a, a range of semantic meaning there. But with this particular word, there are numerous places in the Old Testament where it's translated as a point or a sign or put or place. In fact, just a, a quick count, I, I discovered about 40 different times it's translated that way. In light of that, and I think in the context of the psalm, I think what it's saying is, delight yourself in the Lord and he will appoint the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will implant the desires of your heart. He will place the desires of your heart. The point is we need to make him our greatest desire. And in so doing, he will implant his desires within us. His will becomes our will. Now, what happens when we make his will our will? Well, one obvious thing, there's, there's more power in your prayer life because it helps you to understand what you should be asking for to begin with. If you're seeking his heart and his will, he's going to show you what you need to be praying about. And the reality of that is actually found in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Instead of asking with wrong motives, asking amiss, as James calls it in James 4, 3. So there's power in your prayer life. But also, and here's the big thing, when we make his will our will, the plans that he wills get carried out. And now in the specific context of Romans chapter 10 that we're looking at this morning, that specific will, that's to carry the message of Christ to those who don't yet believe. If you look at the broader context, uh, Paul's actually talking about uh, the Jewish people, those who've rejected Christ, who've not believed. That's who he's talking about carrying the gospel to. The specific will is to carry that message of Christ to those who don't yet know. Verse 14, how then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? Or as Cynthia Clausen sang so wonderfully so many years ago, how can they hear without a preacher? If they're not shown, how can they see? I'm gonna go out where they're hurting and stop expecting them to come to me. I'm going to carry the water to the desert, stop this hauling water to the sea. Now, what not everyone realizes is that when we read that passage in Romans chapter 10, the preachers that Paul is speaking about, that's not the guy that gets up in a, in a pulpit and talks really loudly every Sunday morning, okay? He's talking about all of us, you and I as Christ followers. We are the preachers that he's talking about in verse 14. 
And let's be honest, you know, it's easy for us to, to, uh, to talk about the gospel message with people that already believe. See, that's the taking water to the sea. But his will for us is to take the message to unbelievers. And we need to remind ourselves from time to time, you know, carrying out God's will, you know, doing his will is not drudgery. It's not punishment. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. All right, so the reality of faith is that it's faith in Christ alone. The root of faith is a word from God. The result of faith is that God's will is accomplished. Now, here's the fourth thing, the release of faith. Now, it's interesting he puts this in the middle of this passage in verse 16 where he says, not all obeyed the gospel. See, true faith does more than just believe. It obeys. It's a faith that's lived out. There's a comedian that goes by the stage name of Louis C.K. I'm not a fan of his at all, but he made an interesting statement one time. He says, I have a lot of beliefs, and I live by none of them. That's just the way I am. They're just my beliefs. I just like believing them. I, I like that part. They're my little believies. They make me feel good about who I am. But if they get in the way of a thing I want, I sure as heck do what I want to do. <laughs> See, if what you say you believe doesn't translate into action, you really don't believe it at all. Biblical faith is a faith that obeys. Now, the origin of, of that English word believe, it actually, you can trace the etymology of that all the way back to an old English word, by live. By live eventually became believe. Flip those words around. Instead of by live, live by. We believe what we by live, what we live by. What we believe, we live by. So faith, think of it this way. Faith is just simply uh, belief with legs on it. You know, or more simply put, saving faith is behaving faith. My dad and I were in ministry together for 12 years, and I don't know how many revival messages he would start off by saying this. What you do is what you really believe, and everything else is just religious talk. And so that's the next life point I want you to get. Very simply this. What you do is what you really believe. Now, verse 16 of Romans 10 here, it says, uh, not all the Israelites accepted the good news. That Greek word for accepted, it, it literally means to submit to be obedient to. In fact, the, the Christian Standard translation I read earlier, it actually says not all obeyed the gospel. Uh, translations will say not all obeyed the gospel, not all obeyed the good news. So the people Paul's talking about, they heard it, but they didn't obey it. You see, even though God is speaking, not everyone will obey the gospel. Not everyone is going to release their faith. Oh, they want to argue and debate with God. Well, I really don't believe all that, God. My idea of truth is something totally different from yours. Oh, God, what you're saying doesn't fit into my personal philosophy. Well, la-ti-da. You know, people like that, they may hear his word, and he speaks truth to them, yet they say, 
I don't choose to believe that. And you know what? Because God created you with free will, that is your choice. You can choose what to believe and, and what not to believe. But that unbelief, that's not simply a, a conscious act of your intellect. It's the will of your heart. It's willful disbelief of God. So watch out. Writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 3.12 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But didn't we establish earlier that, that faith is a gift from God? Yeah, we did. Just like salvation. Romans 6.23b, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just like salvation, just like victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are all gifts from God. But so is breathing. God gifts us with air. God gifts us with lungs. But since we have free will, if we so choose, we can still smother ourselves. Here's the big idea I want you to get from, from Romans chapter 10. And it should come through fairly plainly in this message. But that there's, there's no excuse for not believing the good news of Christ. There's no excuse for not believing. Or let's take it one step further. As Christ followers, as Christians, little Christs, there's not only no excuse for not believing the good news, but there's no excuse for not sharing the good news. How can they hear without a preacher? So the reality of faith is that it's faith in Christ alone. The root of faith is that it's a word from God. The result of faith is that God's will is accomplished. And the release of faith means that true biblical faith is faith if it's lived out, not simply believed. All right, so as we ponder all this stuff that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 10, how do we put that to work? How do we apply that to ourselves? Now, some of you in your life group, you probably use the Bible studies for life curriculum. You know, at the end of the lesson, there's always a live it out section. All right, this is our live it out section. All right. How does this become a reality in our lives? You know, how do we live in victorious faith? Well, to have a victorious faith, there's several things, several practical things that need to happen in our lives. First of all, we, needed to be, we need to be saturated with Scripture. Remember what Paul said, faith comes by hearing the Word of God. We need to be saturated with the Word of God. Not only are we saturated with the Scripture, we need to be dedicated to the Savior. Because again... Faith is no greater than its object. So our faith must be in the Lord. We also must be separated from sin because unconfessed sin, unrepentant sin, and that's a faith killer. And the fourth thing is we need to be activated by the Spirit. How do we do that? We trust. We trust and obey. Just like the old hymn says, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Because real faith is belief with legs on it. Now, most of you here today, you know, you've already taken that step of faith. You know, you've come to that crucial moment of decision when you've said yes to Christ. You've said, uh, Lord, I, I want to receive your free gift of salvation. 
I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I know that there's no amount of good deeds I could do on this earth that will ever earn my salvation, that will ever merit me a place in heaven. And so I confess that to you. I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me. I ask you to come into my life and be my Savior and Lord. And most everyone in this room has already made that choice. Perhaps some of you here today have not. You've struggled with this whole faith business. Maybe your whole life. Thinking, what, what does God want from me? We know the answer to that question is more simple than you might think. You know what God wants from you? You. He wants you. He wants personal relationship with you. But that relationship with God only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you, you're here today and you've been a Christian for a long time, but you're realizing, okay, maybe somewhere along the way I kind of got off track. And you've started to, uh, instead of placing all of your faith and trust in God, you've begun to place your faith in wrong things along the way. You know, maybe you've heaped all your, your hopes and your faith on your career or money or your spouse or your family, which are all wonderful things, but they're not a substitute for God. And let me tell you something, folks. Sooner or later, or later things, things are going to let you down. People are going to to let you down. If you're putting your faith in people, you are going to be sorely disappointed, even those people that you love the most. But here's the thing about God. He will never let you down, and he will never let you go. The Bible says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So I ask you this morning, what faith decision do you need to make today? Is it for salvation? Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with God, it's pretty simple. It's repent, believe, and receive. We acknowledge that we're all sinners who fall short, and we repent. That word means to change your mind about the way you've been living. Then you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you, and you receive by faith God's gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Beach Street. Small group Bible study begins at 9.30 on Sundays, followed by worship at 10.45. There's a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 6. You'll find us at the corner of 6th and Beach Street in downtown Texarkana. And for more info, visit our website at beachstreetfbc.org.